We walked through the streets of Jerusalem, the very streets that the writer of John's gospel was in. Uh, we've been going through John's gospel. I was talking to Miss Utris. I don't know where you are. There's Miss Utris, all the way back there in the cheap seats. We, <laughs> we went to Israel, I, I guess about a year ago, and Utris said something which has been in my experience, and I think everyone who's been to Israel can say the same thing. You don't read the scripture the same when you come back. It's just a different dimension. I mean, you are there. And so as I've been reading through John's gospel uh, in my mind, I'm taken back to the streets of Jerusalem. It was in the streets of Jerusalem that John uh, made this statement in John chapter 1, verse 29. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was John and there was Yeshua, Jesus, right there in Jerusalem where we were. And John pointed to Jesus and declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this he did in earshot of many, many people. And if you think about that claim that John made in John 1, 29, it's outrageous. I mean, who, how in the world could this John declare this Jesus, the carpenter's son, came from Nazareth, we went by Nazareth and all these places, and how, how could it be that, that John would have the audacity to declare this rather ordinary, common, blue-collar worker to be the Lamb of God who, by the way, takes away the sin of the world? Well, by anticipation, John realizes a lot of naysayers are going to say, where do you get off claiming that this Jesus is all that? John knows this, and so uh, this is what he says now in John chapter 1, beginning of verse 30. He is going to substantiate his claim. He's going to demonstrate to us the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you go to Israel, you see more religion than you can stomach. It's not just Judaism. It's religion of every stripe. It's Islam. For, uh, for, for instance, if I could tell you this, uh, we got to sing in the Western Wall Square. You know it as the Wailing Wall. It's a very prominent sight, and you see Jewish people praying in front of the... They, we call it the Wailing Wall. They don't like that term. It's the Western Wall. It existed during the time of the Lord. It's all that remains of the temple that stood when the Lord was there in Jerusalem. It's a very holy site in Judaism. And we formed up right there in the square and began to sing. Uh, the choir was, was just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, just unbelievable. It was just a privilege uh, for those 10, 11 days to be part of, the, part of the choir. They let me do it as long as I didn't sing too loud because I was throwing them off, apparently. But it was just beautiful. They sang, Hey Venu, Shalom Aleichem, peace we bring to you. And a bunch of Israeli schoolgirls were just fascinated by this group of Americans who were singing a song in Hebrew. And they were, they were just transfixed on us, as were others. And then the choir sang two more, In Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. They mentioned Jesus' Name right there. Nobody arrested us. Nobody asked us for our permit. Nobody dragged us off to jail. Nobody clubbed us, beat us, persecuted us, or stabbed or shot us. No. But up above on the Temple Mount, 
that's the platform on which the temple used to stand. It's now in Muslim control because the Israeli government allowed it. You've seen a panorama of Jerusalem. There's a beautiful structure with a golden dome. That's the third holiest site in Islam. It's called the Dome of the Rock. After Mecca and Medina in Saudi Arabia, this is the holiest site in Islam. It is thought from this site, Muhammad was resurrected on a horse to heaven. That's, that's, that's what's thought. So it's a very important site to Islamic people and the Israeli government. When they took back the old city in uh, 1967, had every opportunity to lay hands on this holy territory. It's the site of the first and second temples. It has a a Jewish claim to it, uh, but the Jews decided to try to make peace with the Arab Muslim people, and they let them have control uh, of this platform. They do to this very day. So if you want to go up on the platform, uh, you have to go through, a, uh, you have to wait online for a long period of time, and you have to abide by the rules set by the Muslim authority, even though this is in the heart of Jerusalem, the capital of, uh, of Israel. And when you get to the Temple Mount, you are not permitted to bring a Bible. Did you know that? All Bibles have to be left behind or they'll be confiscated. You must not mention Jesus' name there. They have people, security people, going through the crowds, listening to your conversation. And if you mention Jesus, you can be bodily removed from it. You surely can't bow your head and pray in Jesus' name. If you ever sang a song in his name, you may be brutalized and beaten. I couldn't help but see the stark difference between what happens when uh, you're under the umbrella of Islam in contrast to the umbrella of uh, freedom of religion. When you're under the umbrella of Islam, uh, you are sorely limited in the expression of your faith. It has to conform to the Quran. Or else you're considered an infidel and you're defiling the holy sanctuary. But down below, the holiest site in Jerusalem, uh, the Western Wall, we were allowed to freely sing in the public square in Jesus' name. It's a total difference, I'm telling you. Uh, you we have to pray for Islamic people that Jesus, who is the light of the world, would shed his light abroad in the hearts of Muslim people who are wonderful people who, for whom Jesus died, just as he has enlightened us as well. Anyway, we were there. You see all kinds of religion. You see Islam, and you see Judaism, and you see all kinds of brands of Christianity, not the likes of which we would we, we would have an affinity for di different kind, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. You see Coptic Christians. You see the Baha'i faith. You see, well, there's a Mormon presence there and Jehovah's Witnesses and all manner of groups of every kind. Religion, I mean, all over the place. And, 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 and John, John is saying it's not about that. It's about this Jesus who is the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. And he tried in that day, as we hope to try when we go to Israel today, to pull people out of the distraction of religiosity so as to be able to see Jesus, who is the light of the world. So John made the claim, he's the one who takes away our sin. It's not your religion, it's not your good deeds, it's not whatever it is, it's not Judaism, it's not any ism. It's, it's Yeshua, it's Jesus. He's, 
He's the Savior. Well, he wants to substantiate the uniqueness of Jesus. He wants to distinguish Jesus from Moses and Mohammed and, and everybody else. And, and, and he's not showing disrespect. He's just saying, this Jesus is categorically different, and therefore I'll prove it to you. And here's what he does. Look at verse 30, chapter 1, verse 30. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I read this and I say, now what's the point here? Aren't you just saying, John, that, uh, that uh, Jesus is older than you? You know, he has a higher rank because he existed before me. John, are you, are you, aren't you simply saying Jesus is older than you? How does that make him stand out from the crowd? How does this uh, give evidence of his uniqueness. Well, but that's not what John's saying at all. You know why? Because Jesus, in chronological years, is not older than John. Did you know that John was born first? So he can't be referencing the date of birth of this Jesus. You know what he's uh, talking about? The pre-existence of Jesus. He's saying he's categorically different because he existed before the world was. He's pre-existed, and that's a characteristic which only God possesses. Listen, in the beginning, God. That's the first book of the Bible. Before anything else was, God. And then you read in John, the first verse, in the beginning was the Word. We find out that's Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody had a starting point. Jesus did not. Jesus is the creator. He is not a created being. Therefore, he has no beginning nor end. John is saying he has a higher rank than I do. Don't look to me. You must look to him. I'm in the category of humankind. He is not. Though he became man, he existed in the form and the essential nature of deity, God, from the beginning. Only God has no beginning nor end and John said, that's Jesus himself. Before time was, in timeless eternity, the word was. Before the creation of the heavens and the earth, prior to this was the word, was Jesus. And John says, so this is one reason why uh, he could shout out, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And people say, well, a mere man can't do that. And John says, that's right, but he's no mere man. He existed even before all men. He had the characteristic of pre-existence. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh. See, we know the word is a reference to Jesus. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full and gr of grace and truth. So though Jesus became a man, he was not a mere man. He was before any man was. He's the preexistent one, meaning he is God, not mere man. Jesus is unique. However, for John and for us, if we're honest, there was a time when we didn't get it. We did not recognize the fullness of whom Jesus is. We know of him. I mean, we're Americans. Everyone heard of Jesus. But we didn't really have a grasp on the totality of his being and perfections. We didn't, know, we didn't know who he really, really was. And neither did John. And John admits it. Look at verse 31. I didn't recognize him. That's what John said. 
<laughs> I didn't recognize him. Well, it's not that he didn't know of this Yeshua from Nazareth, the carpenter's son. He did, but he didn't know of the totality of his deity. He didn't know of his mission. I didn't recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. I didn't know who he was when I first heard of him. I came to find out that Jesus was Israel's Messiah. He came that he might be manifested to Israel. And John realized that his life's purpose was to draw Israel's attention to our own Messiah. And therefore, he came baptizing in water as a means of preparing people for Jesus. We baptized in the Jordan River, the same body of water in which this unique Jesus was baptized. We stood in the same body of water, the Jordan River. And we were baptized as a means of rededication and renewed public proclamation of how we belong to Jesus and he is ours by faith. He is our savior. And John, John was called upon to baptize people in the same body of water so as to prepare their way for the Messiah. John said, I didn't understand who he was. Once I figured out who he was, I realized my role is through baptism and other means, my role is to call people's attention to Jesus. That's what he did 2,000 years ago, folks. That's our role. In case you're suffering from a dose of identity crisis. Who am I? I can tell you. Uh, just as John was called upon to draw people's attention to Jesus, so too, that's our purpose, you and I. He didn't save us for no good reason. <laughs> he saved us so that we would call people's attention to him. And that privilege and obligation has continued for thousands of years down to this very day. And I can show you a real life living example of a faithful, obedient ambassador for Christ who is doing today exactly what John did 2,000 years ago. So Steve-O, can you join me over here just for a second? This is Steve Wiggins. As he comes over here, I'll tell you a little bit about him. By the way, nice shirt. Yeah, look. It's not a prerequisite to get called up here to wear a shirt with Oh, you. yeah, it is. It okay, is. well, oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so Steve, uh, uh, I officiated your wedding how long ago? Uh, about three years almost. Three years ago, uh, and the service was right there by the divine servant. And Steve is married to Shumei, just a wonderful gal from China. And her relatives came from Taiwan to the wedding. It was beautiful. And you made me wear a Chinese thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you haven't worn it since. Why not? That's right. <laughs> and uh, Steve is, um, how long have you been a member of Sagemont? Seven years. Seven years, and uh, what do you do? What ministries do, do you perform? Uh, I am in the Hellfighters Motorcycle Ministry. Which is a great, great ministry. And Steve is one of the most faithful members in this church. He's here regularly and goes and gives and serves and is a great guy. And Steve was telling me about uh, some wonderful opportunities he had to represent Christ in recent days, and I think you'll be blessed to hear about it. So Steve, tell us about it. Absolutely. Um, I went to the dermatologist. I got two. I can share both of them, Please. right? Okay. I went to the dermatologist, and uh, after all the uh, biopsy and freezing, this, that, and the other, and uh, I was sitting there, and as the doctor was about to walk out the door, um, I said, Doc, 
I got something I need to tell you. And she turned around, she smiled, and she looked at me. She goes, yeah, sure. I said, the best thing that ever happened to me is, <laughs> is when I realized God was willing to forgive all my sins by me placing my trust in his only son, Jesus, who died on a cross in my place for my sins. And she kept a smile, and she looked at me, and she says, thank you, I appreciate that. And she turned and walked out the door. But what was awesome about that was her assistant was in the room, and she heard it as well. So I got two people at one time. The other instance, uh, give me a little background on this. Um, in Galveston, there's a uh, uh, homeless ministry. It's put on by Turning Point Church. It's been going on for more than 30 years at the corner of uh, Winnie and 20. We go down there on the third Saturday uh, in the morning to minister down there. Uh, there's a lot of homeless folks they bring from Salvation Army, a lot of people that just live on the streets. They come down there, they get fed uh, food, and they also get the word. There's a, uh, they have a little worship band. They sing some worship songs, and then there's a little 20-minute uh, uh, message that's given. Uh, well, I got down there early uh, one morning, and I'd walked up, and there was a gentleman that was standing there by himself. And so I'd walked up to him, and... Um, we just made real quick conversation, and, and before we got too much further, I said, let me tell you about the best thing that ever happened to me, is when I realized God was willing to forgive all my sins by me placing my trust in his only son, Jesus, who died on a cross in my place for my sins. Something happened that has never occurred to me, never happened to me before. He broke down and started crying right there. He started repenting of his sins right there. I didn't have to say or lead him in any kind of prayer. He was just praying, and I was just patting him on the chest saying, amen, brother, amen, brother, amen, brother. And he was just praising God, and he was asking for forgiveness, and he got born again right then and there. And it's like when we got done, <clears throat> we talked for a few minutes, and I said, is there, is there anything I can pray with you about? And he said, yes pray for my mother. He was already thinking about his mom. He just got born again. He was always thinking about his mom. So we, I, we got to talk a little bit. I gave him a Bible, gave him some tracks. He got his belly fed. He got his soul fed. So it was an awesome experience. So, so what I would say to you, this is, this is, let me say thank you very much for sharing this statement that you've shared with us. It's made it so easy to be able to just witness to somebody with just a simple sentence that it's not only a general uh, testimony of every believer, but it's also sharing the good news all in one. It works so well. So I, I would encourage you, you know, to, to get to where you say this with real ease. Ask someone to put it on the screen. Yeah, it might come up on the screen right now if you look up. Oh, my goodness, look at that. And, and it becomes almost second nature. And, you know, and if you're not used to saying it to a stranger, well, practice on your loved one or your, your wife or your husband, you know, when you come home. Honey, how was your day? Let me tell you my day. It, the best thing that ever happened to me is when I realized God was willing to forgive all my sins if I just placed my trust in his only son, Jesus, who died on a cross in my place for my sins. And she'll look at you and say, I thought when you met me, that was the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> well, okay, that's number two. But God, there's a song that I hear on KJIC, and the hook of the song is Be Somebody's Miracle. We all have family and friends that we're praying for that are lost, and we know it, and if they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell. So be that miracle to somebody. When you have that opportunity and you feel the Holy Spirit, and you know what it feels like when, when the Holy Spirit moves on you, hey, say something. He's already prepared the heart. You can water, you can plant the seed, you may harvest. It doesn't matter. Just be obedient. And just tell them about the love of Christ. That's all there is to it. Thank you, Steve.
God bless you, brother. God bless you, Steve. Uh, uh, folks, there's no magic in the words. It's the, it's the Savior who saves, but this is a good conversation starter. We were coming back from Israel on the plane, and a man sat next to me who was wearing a shirt, said, Vietnam veteran. Well, I asked him about that, and he served in Vietnam in a special ops kind of a unit, and we shared uh, war stories. I was in uh, during that area, but I didn't see near the action he did, and he was affected by it. He was uh, uh, 60, I guess he was about 67 or something like that, about my age, same category, and we spoke about things, and at a certain time, I did just with Steve. His name was Paul. I said, hey, Paul, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened. I mean, he's a captive audience. He's sitting next to me. We got 14 hours together, uh, and I just started with these words. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the sacrifice of his, through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. And I said to him, Paul, does that mean anything to you? And conversation uh, uh, proceeded from there. And then I noticed later he got up and changed his seat. <laughs> he actually did. So you never know. <laughs> you, you never, I mean, that's not, I mean, our, our goal is not to persuade anyone of anything. It's the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. Our privilege is to share the gospel, and then we leave the results to God. Don't wait until you go through every evangelism training program in the history of the world. Don't wait until you read every book on answering objections to the gospel. Get rolling. Get in the process and come rejoice, just as Steve did, because of the wonderful experience he had in sharing the gospel. Anyway, what John did 2,000 years ago, Steve Wiggins is doing even today. So verse 32, John testified, oh, by the way, this has nothing to do with this verse, but, but you know, I still have jet lag. So you, so you, you grade on a curve. We're in the airport, uh, intercontinental airport, getting ready to fly on Turkish airlines. We flew Turkish airlines to Istanbul, and people were thinking, you're crazy. We had no trouble. I mean, it was crowded and the seats are tight and all the rest. I got all that, but we were treated with utmost courtesy. Anyway, we're getting ready to mount up uh, here at Bush Intercontinental Airport, and I see a guy who I knew. And I call out to him, hey, hey, Liad, Liad, which is an unusual name, but not if you're an Israeli. He was an Israeli who I met. How did I meet him? I got a call several months ago from a guy named Dr. Jim Sibley. He's one of our professors at our seminary, uh, a Southern Baptist seminary, Dr. Jim Sibley. He's a scholar. And he said, hey, Stuart, uh, this is Jim. Can you do me a favor? Uh, I, I, I know of a guy. He's an Israeli. He lives in the northern part of Houston, and I think he's interested in knowing more about the Lord. Will you contact him? Well, what do you say? You say, of course I'll contact. Give me his contact information. So I did. And I lined up an appointment with this guy, and I drove an hour north to meet with him. He owns a used car dealership, naturally, Jewish guy. What else? And so... Uh, uh, he was real busy and all this kind of stuff, but I got him to sit down a little bit, and I shared my testimony, how I came to know the Lord, and so on and so forth, and we planned on getting together again, and it never happened. He got busy, I got busy, life happens. Well, who do I see in the airport? This guy, who I hadn't seen in like six months. And what's he doing? He's going to Israel on the same flight 
we are. He's going back to Israel because he had a couple friends who were getting married. I introduced him to a number of people in our group, and they loved on him and all the rest. And he tells me, since I saw him over there in a variety of other circumstances, he came to know the Lord. He's a believer. And he said, it's fascinating, just a young guy. And then he said, uh, can I, uh, what is your group doing? And I told him we were traveling through the land and we're going to worship and visit the sites of biblical interest. He said, can I hook up with y'all? To which I said, are you kidding? Of course. And he told me he lives in a place called Beit Shan. Beit Shan is the site of perhaps the best preserved Roman ruins in all of the Middle East. It's just a fascinating, it's the place where King Saul's uh, body, he was beheaded. They, they impaled his body and that of his sons on the walls there at Beit Shan. You can read about it. It's in the Bible somewhere. I can't remember where, but it's in the Bible. And uh, he, he said, I live there. He lives in Beit Shan. So when we got there, we go into this amphitheater that's thousands of years old. And sure enough, here comes Liad. I introduced him to the group and he hung out with us. And I introduced him to our Israeli guide, who's a believer, so that they can relate. I mean, that was a God thing. If I, it has nothing to do with the text. I was just excited about it. I mean, that was a God thing. Who orchestrates something like that? A Jewish guy from Israel comes to North Houston. We end up on the same plane going to Turkey. Come on. This doesn't happen. Anyway, where are we? Verse 32. John testified saying, okay, look, look, look. He's trying to substantiate his claim that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the first point he makes is Jesus had no beginning. He's preexistent. Now, here's the second thing he says. I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And John is saying this is the second criteria of his uniqueness. One, he had no beginning. He always was. Two, the Father distinguished him from all others. John said, I saw with my eyes during uh, baptism in the Jordan River, I saw the Spirit descending upon him as a dove and remaining on him. And in such fashion, John saw the uniqueness of this particular uh, uh, Jesus. And so uh, John makes this otherwise outlandish claim. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose uh, sacrifice for our sin washes away all our sin. He took away all our sin. And people cry out, oh, how could you make this statement? Well, on two bases. Number one, he's pre-existent. Muhammad had a beginning. Uh, Buddha had a beginning. Moses had a beginning. You have a beginning. Jesus had no beginning. He always was. Second, God distinguished him from all others in that the very Spirit of God descended upon him as a dove, thus separating out Jesus from the crowd. John said, I saw the Spirit descending upon him as a dove out of heaven. A dove. A dove doesn't scare you, does it? No, no, no. It could have been a bear. I saw the Spirit descending as a bear, as a lot. No, as a dove. A dove doesn't. Do you know the first coming of this very special Jesus was associated with animals that don't scare you? A lamb and a dove. Isn't that interesting? But, 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 but don't take him lightly because his second coming will be characterized by a lion. He came as the lamb of God the first time. He'll come as the lion of Judah the second time. You see, the first time he came to judge sin but the second time, he'll come to judge sinners. Be ready. 
if you're right about his first coming, you don't have a thing to worry about with regard to his second coming. But if you're wrong about his first coming, don't underestimate this lamb, this one who was associated with a dove, this one will come mounted on a white horse. He won't come on a donkey anymore with people shouting and screaming. He'll come on a white horse, which is befitting a victorious uh, a victor, and he will wage war at that point, not against sin, but against sinners. Don't take the beneficence and the patience, the long-suffering grace and mercy of this Jesus Christ. Don't take it for granted. People make fun of him. People humiliate him. People show disrespect for him. People uh, tell jokes about him. Hollywood has crazy shows which demean him, and he waits with great patience, giving people a chance to come to know him, to recognize him as John did, as Steve does, as this man uh, who came to know the Lord does, as many of us have. But don't take for granted the Lamb of God will come as the Lion of Judah one day. You've got to get his first coming right or you won't be ready for, his, for his, his second coming. Augustine, have you heard of him? Augustine was referring to uh, the dove associated with Noah and the flood. He said, as a dove did at that time bring tidings of the abating of the water, so doth it now of the abating of the wrath of God. Jesus did not come to scare us or make war with us and be an adversary. No, no, he came to befriend us, to extend himself to us, to invite him into his family to be forgiven, to be in his embrace, to experience his mercy and compassion, to be adopted into his family, all of these things the first time. The second time will be entirely different. And John says in verse 33, once again, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And so, you see, John is saying, I have two ways to substantiate my claim. I'm claiming Jesus is the Lamb of God. Here are the two uh, bases upon which I make that claim. One, he was preexistent. He was before all of us were. Two, I saw the Spirit descending upon him as a dove. And I was told, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. John said, do not compare me to him. I baptize with water. I deal with externals, but he can change a person from the inside. He could immerse you in his very spirit so that you live in the atmosphere of the very spirit of God. If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. You know when you accepted Jesus Christ and he bequeathed to you his spirit, everything changes. I remember, I remember I was in, in the military. I was a new, new believer and I was playing basketball and I used the Lord's name in vain one time. We were playing in an old B-52 bomber factory. They converted it to basketball courts and we're playing basketball. And I used the Lord's name in vain. I just accepted the Lord. Oh my God, I felt real bad about that. Nobody told me to feel bad about that. There was no Baptist preacher around to make me feel bad. What was it? Ah, it was the very spirit of God in whom I had been immersed. Remember, water baptism didn't do that. No, 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 no. It's the baptism of the Spirit. Only Jesus could do that. So changed me on the inside that I never wanted to use the Lord's name in vain again. I didn't know the commandment about it and anything like that. When you're in the atmosphere of God's Spirit, I'm telling you, things change. 
You know, as a Jewish guy, I knew right away that I was different because I started to give away my money. <laughs> what in the world came over me? I'll never forget, I joined a little small country church and missionaries from Australia of all places came, you know, with kangaroos and boomerangs and stuff. What do I know from Australia? And they were just talking about what they do in Australia. And they said, if you sign here on the dotted line, you can become part of our support team. We'll send you our prayer letter and you can support us financially. And I got on board, just like that. I signed up and I don't know what it was. It wasn't much. And then I got a letter from Australia. Dear Stuart, thank you for your prayers and your support. Look at this. I was having a role in helping missionaries thousands of miles away just from a military base in, in the United States. And, and they began to tell me what they were doing, what their work was. And that was like a new thing. Nobody ever told me to do those things. Now the preacher, uh, uh, you know, taught on giving and, and I got a better idea. But there was something inside of me that said, that's like a good idea to do. See, before that, it was hoard. And then when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you give. It's a very interesting thing. You find out in God's economy, the real blessing is giving. And God multiplies uh, to you far more. You can't outgive God. I guess that's the point. Well, but that is not a lesson you learn in college or university or Bible college or anything like that. That's what happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget that when I got, uh, when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and I, I was baptized by water baptism. It was a thrilling day. I'm not underestimating. That's when a person is baptized, they say without a word, I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. But, but, but the one baptizing can't, in water can't do any more than what John did. That's just an external thing. It's a reflection of an internal thing only Jesus can do. He, he immerses us in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget, uh, once I became a Christian, my whole attitude towards alcohol changed. Isn't that interesting? I was a drinking fool, and my father was an alcoholic. That's the way we live life. When you get under stress, you want to relieve pain, you just tie one on. That's what we did. Nobody preached this sermon. Not that there's anything wrong with this. I'm just telling you. I just felt after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. When did it happen? The minute I accepted Christ, he sent his spirit in a minute. I didn't wait for some subsequent event, you know, three months later for crying out loud. When you accept Jesus, he sends his spirit in you, on you, all over you, changes you. And so I just realized, good night. I don't want to be doing this stuff anymore. I don't need to make recourse to this Stuff. Good night. If Jesus is the one I'm supposed to look to and depend on, I don't want anything getting in the way. So I began to pray, God, you got to help me out. I can't kick this thing alone. That's right. I couldn't. And he helped me out. I haven't had anything to drink in, uh, good night, over 40 years. Over 40. It's not a badge of honor. I'm not, I'm not trying to lord it over you. I'm just trying to tell you, I have evidence that what John said is right. He said, don't look to me. I just baptize in water. Jesus is unique. He can baptize you with his spirit so that you stop drinking. That's what happened. A whole lot of things. Like Steve, an interest in sharing my faith. Are you kidding me? Why would I want to risk my reputation, have someone think I'm some... Uh, religious fanatic or something. I don't know what it was. There was something in me that just told me I ought to tell people uh, what Jesus did for me. I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't trained or schooled or anything like that. These are all different changes. Listen, I went to church. I was the only Jewish guy in this country. I mean, this was country church. 
I mean, there was no one different than anyone there but me. I was it. Now, why in the world would I go there? Well, because I, there was just something in me that tells me God didn't save you in a vacuum. He saved you to be part of a new community, a new family. And they were the family. I didn't particularly like them. I don't think they liked me. Uh, uh, too bad. We're stuck with one another. We're, we're, fit. we're just going to have to work it out. And I went every single Sunday, and I'd sit in the first few rows with some other uh, guys, military guys, and we'd sing hymns real, real loud. In fact, it was so loud. One time, the choir director, I might have told you this, he stepped down, and he said, you know, hey, guys, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but can you keep it down? You're throwing the choir off. We couldn't sing. None of us, we were enthused about singing, but we had no talent. So I, 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 all these things are different. You know what else? I started to read the Bible with enthusiasm. I, started, I just wanted to read the Bible, and I felt like it applied to me. Isn't that an interesting thing? That all changed. These are all changed. This is, John said, I can't do those things. I baptize you with water, which is very important. That's the external counterpart of the internal reality of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nobody sees that. That's private and personal. When you're baptized, you go public and you say, Jesus did this to me. He saved me, and I'm not ashamed to proclaim it to you through the waters of baptism. But don't confuse the two. John is saying, don't look to me. I'm not so hot. I only deal with externals. But this Jesus, he's hot. He's preexistent. He was before the world was. And number two, he can baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He can change your life from the inside out. And John was saying, that's why I can tell you he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says, we'll close, verse 34, I myself have seen and I've testified, this is the Son of God. You know what John said? The Lamb of God is the Son of God. Did you watch the vice presidential uh, debate last night? Okay, it was fascinating to me. Very articulate, intelligent, both, both men, brilliant. You know what we're doing during this time? I don't know. What, we got five weeks left before we make a decision? We're trying to evaluate the qualifications of the candidates for the highest office in the land. That's a good exercise. We should do that and vote as wisely as you possibly can. Uh, John has just proven to us, Jesus fulfilled the qualifications of Lamb of God, sacrificial Lamb of God for our sin. How? The Lamb of God is the Son of God. Only the Son of God existed before the world was. Only the Son of God can empower you with the indwelling of his very spirit so as to change your life. The Lamb of God. But you say, oh, how could the suffering Lamb of God be the Son of God? He suffered. Ah. And John would say, you're not getting it. There's no inconsistency between sonship and suffering. Are you a son of God, a daughter of God by adoption? Then don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal which comes upon you and me for our testing. We cried, oh God, if you love me, how could I be going through this? Ah, Jesus, the premier example, suffering is not inconsistent with sonship. The suffering Lamb of God is none other than the Son of God. I am assured of my salvation. 
There's a bunch of stuff I don't know of. But I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm certain of it. I've never doubted it. Why? Because of the qualifications of the one who saved me. I'm not confident about it because of anything in me. I'm confident about eternity with Jesus because of the qualifications of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who obtained my salvation through his own death, is none other than the Son of God. Nobody can fulfill those prerequisites. No other pretender to the throne. Don't let anyone tell you, you take Jesus, I take Mohammed. You take the high road, I take the low road. We all get to the same. We don't all get to the same place. The Savior has to be qualified to save. With all due respect to these other religious leaders, they died and their remains can be found entombed. But we have an empty tomb. We have the cross and an empty tomb. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You cannot be saved. By mere man, the Lamb of God, your Lamb of God, must be the Son of God. John just made it clear. Your Jesus is the Son of God. Be confident, be assured. In this tumultuous day, with crazy stuff happening every moment, this is the rock, the bedrock upon which we stand. Jesus is the Savior when I accept him. As the one who suffered and died for my sins in my place, I become saved. He comes into me in the form of his very spirit. He changes me from the inside out. And he promises me one day he'll present me before the Father, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. He promises me that the work he began in me, he will complete. And I could trust his promises because they're not coming from mere man. The Lamb of God, John proves it, is the Son of God. Lord Jesus, Son of God, thank you for all that you've done. If you're God, you can't die, so you became man to die that we might live. We have it on good grounds, Lord Jesus, that our salvation and confidence in you is not in vain. You existed before time began. You have no beginning nor any end. You're categorically different. And you have the capacity to change lives, to free us from the power of sin. Like no support group, no book, no self-help strategy, no guru, no religious experience can. You can immerse us in your very spirit. The very spirit which came upon you and remains upon you in the likeness of a dove to change us, making us to be new creatures in Christ. Oh, God in heaven, thank you for saving us not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the wrath of God to come. For though you came likened to lamb and dove, the next time you come as a lion. And who wants to stand before a ravenous lion? Thank you for saving us from the justifiable wrath of a holy God to come. Thank you for suffering in our place. O oh, Lamb of God, it worked, for you are none less than Son of God. We praise you for it, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.
Amen. Amen.